Hubbard, Chuba Hubbard, did he get it? Doesn't look like it. Darnell is set. Passes to Cooks, wide open, found a hole. Mills throw, pass caught, touchdown, Miller. And obviously we didn't run the ball very well. You know, they kind of knew that, you know, with a new quarterback in, that things are going to be a little bit different. I thought he did very well. He did not turn the ball over at all. I thought he threw the ball very well. I thought when we, right, when we went in our two-minute offense right before Hass, he did, did an excellent job of taking us down the field. And uh, I thought he did a nice job for us. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and it's episode 99 of the Turn Up For What podcast a question I definitely ask myself um, at 4am on Thursday night watching the Texans uh, defeat 24-9 by the Carolina Panthers and to try and answer that question and a few others is uh, Battle Red Blog's very own Matt West and Matt how you doing? I'm doing great, I'm doing great well, thanks. Thanks for um, thanks for giving us the time. Um, I suppose the overall kind of I suppose sentiment I had after the the game on Thursday was just that there was probably a lot of flaws on this team that kind of been masked in some way or another um, in the first couple of weeks or the first six quarters um, of the season, and they they came they came to the surface a little bit uh, perhaps too much for people to feel comfortable with. I think a lot of people had perhaps chosen to believe an alternative kind of existence for this team in 2021 when I suppose many people thought, you know, there was a clear outcome for this team and the level of talent it had. But I think that was the first time we went up against a good defence um, and there was limited hiding places for a lot of the sort of big structural flaws that was on this roster. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, it's really kind of incredible the difference between Tyrod Taylor and you know, Davis Mills and like, I think that the fact that Taylor was playing like a top 10 quarterback to start the season off and the offense was really well designed for him to take advantage of his mobility. He was really good at breaking out uh, sack attempts and, and making big plays with his legs too. And you really, and like uh, the way I kind of look at quarterbacks now also is I would never draft a quarterback early on the draft unless he has some sort of mobility. You know, and I think the difference between Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor is another example of that. Just because they play man coverage, you always take off and run against something. If you don't maintain your pass rush lines, you can get something. And it just adds such another complicated layer to the defense. But like even seventh in DVOA and DYAR, and like those numbers don't take a small sample size, but he was playing extremely well at that period of time. And then with Davis Mills on the field, the Texans are kind of unwatchable. You know, they ran a Fisher Price offense, they ran a real Bill O'Brien run heavy attack, they didn't really open anything up at all until the second half and by then it was kind of too late and the Panthers are playing kind of soft coverage and then they just blitzed the hell out of them after that one touchdown drive and kind of ended that game after that point. Yeah, it felt, I know Cully admitted it during the week or, or in the, on the Friday after the game um, and he, I suppose he said that they, they didn't they didn't put enough on his plate. Um, they effectively said they didn't trust him and I suppose that's probably a culmination of everything they've seen in training camp, everything they saw in preseason. Um, and they were petrified that he was going to throw a lot of interceptions, and they and they they went pretty vanilla early on. And I suppose for all the all the goodwill and all the all the credit that Tim Kelly's had up to this point in the season, he perhaps you know dismissed a little bit of that and probably lost some of those um, some of that good feeling that Tim Kelly had created. Because I think some of the calls that he had with Tyrod out there was you know I think was some of the best, some of the you know. We don't often see layups in, in the last couple of years under that Bill O'Brien playbook, but executing the right way with the right personnel, uh, with a play caller and a bit of a flow, we saw that. 
Uh, but it felt like it regressed back to you know the, the the slow starts and all the kind of stuff we've seen in the past. And I suppose, do you think there's an appetite in that coaching staff in the in the following weeks until whenever the Tyrod injury you know heals? Do you think there's an a, an appetite there to 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 let Davis Mills cut it loose, or do you think the the turnover battle focus, just like competition, uh, outweighs everything else? Yeah, I mean they have to. And you have to kind of know what you have with Mills after this year because they use their first pick in last year's draft, and you don't use your you don't use a third round pick on a quarterback with a roster construction they had, where they needed talent all across the board. Unless you thought he could potentially be a starter down the road, and so you need to at least like have some sort of glimpse of what maybe he could be in the future. And you have to open up the offense, you know, somewhat. You know, I don't I don't think Mills was good in Stanford. I don't think he warranted third round pick. I don't think he was good whenever he came in in, in in Cleveland. I don't think he was good against Carolina. I don't think he's going to be good. But, like, you at least have to see him in kind of more of an open offense to kind of see exactly what he's capable of doing. And, you know, right now they haven't done that. And also, like, Houston's offensive line is kind of like a big blame for why they lost last week. When they keep trying to run outside zone, they can't block it. I know there's been, like, a lot of, you know, enamorance for – Tyus Howard and Ray Tunson left side one, but they've been bad at run blocking. Like Tunson doesn't even look like he wants to run block. Howard is, is just very sloppy at the position. He's very sloppy in run blocking. He's one of his entire career, and they just can't block outside zone. They struggle with it over and over and over again. And so Mills, and even like with Taylor, like you have to run like a, like a pass versus offense where the run game just kind of like keeps the defense at on its heels enough to kind of confuse them, open up passing lanes. And so you're running just kind of like as an appetizer, at least keep them honest, not because it's a foundation of the game. It's just because of, you know, after all these years, still after all the investment, the offensive line's still bad and blocking the run. And it's like that still again once, once again this year. Yeah, I think I wrote this today and I put an article earlier on today and the move of Titus to left guard, you've gone from one of your very, very few bets on young quality players on rookie wage scale deals and you've taken him from a promising player who stood up against TG Watt, who stood up against Miles Garrett last year, who stood up who's taken on some of the best edge rushers and not looked, you know, completely out of place. Um still some struggles. But you've moved him into left guard and he now become he's, he's effectively an ineffective player. I mean if even if you look I, I put out a screenshot today and if you look at that first screen they ran on third down um, and Howard takes an age to get out to to block. And actually, mm-hmm. if you look at look at the there's just green green grass up 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 the left sideline for Mark Ingram to go and run. Whether he makes it the end zone before somebody cuts across the backside, I don't know. Obviously, but um, but yeah, he laboured out there as if he was you know he was towing a trailer. And they just I I don't know what it is if he's not happy there because they know that they're taking money out of his pocket by moving into to a lower paid traditionally position um, versus tackle. Um, or he's just simply maybe not there physically. I don't know, but it just it seems like a lot of promise. And it, I suppose it's a bit broken record stuff, right? Because you know what everybody's talked about this line over and over again. Um, but when they can't consistently block at the second level, when you've got a rookie quarterback there trying to make checks and, and get the protection set right, they, they're still failing on that miserably. So it's hard to see that coupled with the run game how they're going to support Mills. In a better way, um, because you know the run game perhaps wasn't there with Tyrod either. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer is, Matt. If this offensive line is going to improve, because I think everybody had high expectations of James Camden, 
um, and this line, but it's not materialised, I don't think. And I think the left side is arguably weaker than the right, which, you know, is perhaps, you know, defies logic considering the traditional roots of investment to get talent on your team. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a you know, better coach than was last year. And, like, I think they run inside zone well. I think they run duo well. Like, they're pretty good running, you know, can more traditional hip-to-hip double teams because they're able to, you know, create a lot of movement on the first level. Like Howard and Tesla success, like with that against Jacksonville, you know, Jacksonville is in a very good run defense and all. And, but like they keep throwing outside zone, they can't block it. And like their backside, weak side double teams are terrible. But like, I think Justin Britt's been good. He's been really surprising to me. He actually like knows how to block the chest and, and really uses his hand placement well, understands leverage. And him and Sharping made some good blocks together. Howard's been, I mean, Cam's been like, you know, pretty all right. He's not like a, a game changer at all. His pass protection has been better than they expected. And him and Sharpie worked, you know, fairly well together on uh, on those hip-tip double teams, too. And he's a better, like, backside blocker than Tensil is. And a better outside jump blocker than Tensil is right now, which is, you know, incredible, too. And I agree with that with, like, Howard also. Like, I don't think he's been a disaster at guard. The run blocking's been terrible. Um, but it's like you, you're putting a guy who's had success at pass protecting at the tackle position, a more premium position, at a lower contract value you're putting an older veteran at that same spot who may only have two years. And so it didn't make really any sense to me at all, like developing or like halting the development of a young player's had success at that spot uh, and then moving them inside. So for like this year and a year, that's probably like a down year anyways. And so I don't understand all whatsoever. And, and that's kind of probably like Mills is his lack of mobility. You know, like they have promised to give the blitz, they don't have a real run game. And so I don't, I don't know how we're going to be able to see like a, like a more of an open Davis Mills offense with like how this offensive line is performed, how this run game is performed too. And so I hope we see, I just don't know if we're going to see it. Texas, the Texans could very well, very well may, may be one in seven until Tyrod Taylor's back, you know, the games against Buffalo and Arizona and Indianapolis and everything else. And so uh, it may be like a, a complete black hole by the time we see Taylor again too. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange predicament, I suppose, because when you think of the, when you think of the offense, and as you said, of of any of the spots on the team where you could probably point to guys that have got snaps, uh, guys that have played together in some formation, and they've made a number of probably, in my view, unnecessary changes on that line. Uh, but, you know, it's just simple plays. Like, there was actually, a, I watched a play back today in the All-22, and it's actually blocked up perfectly. Um, and and Sharpen goes inside to find work, and actually the DB just runs through the hole and tackles the running back, when actually, again, there was like a huge lane set up. And it's just, and it's just small things like that, and you think, well, when's it ever going to when's it ever going to improve? And it's I suppose it's it's a point of emphasis because when you've got a rookie guy in there, you you have to hide them behind a solid run game if you expect them to be successful. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if if Mills can 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 find passes in a in a in a way that keeps the chains moving because there was too many times we just didn't see it. There was. There were a number of crossers he struggled to hit. Uh, there was the one on, and then there was a, bit, a big couple of big long plays that he could that just he just didn't let develop or didn't have time to develop because um, the pass protection let up. There was one that Burkhead blew a block, and actually both Miller was open downfield and Cooks was you know streaking up the sideline um, in terms of in terms of potentially being able to make a play in behind. So yeah, I think it's weird, but I sub- it's just a strange kind of. Setup, I think, was when you think about you know for the wide receiver position, when at the start of last year we were overstocked with players, we signed players we didn't need to, um, like Randall Cobb. When you had Kenny Stills still playing um, on the on the squad, and you paid him eight million for however many snaps, 
Um, and we've gone from probably having one of the strongest positions on that on the roster to the weakest. And I think mm -hmm. it showed with 57% of the targets going through Brandon Cooks. One, it's not sustainable. Two, it's not good for his development. And I think the irony all in it is that that was one of the biggest arguments about getting rid of Hopkins. It, it was too much went through. I mean, you wanted to spread the ball around. Yeah. And here you go, <laughs> less than a year later, you're putting everything through a guy who who physically it isn't, he, he doesn't have the body type and frame to make all the throws that you need to consistently go to him. He's not yeah. that kind of player. Um, and it just seems a really unhealthy, imbalanced roster, I suppose. But maybe that shows what Nico Collins was. I don't know. But what do you, what do you think about the wide wide receiver position where it's at right now? Yeah, I mean, I was like, I, I am wrong about Cooks. Like, he's been like a number one caliber receiver so far this year. I've always thought he was like a 1B. And like, that was the idea with him, Will Fuller that they win with vertical routes down the sideline to open the middle of the field. Um, and they get, you know, teams playing, you know, too high, too high safety shells, you know, and that would help open up the run game, this sort of thing. And that never worked out at all. Uh, but yeah, I don't like Cooks is tiny and he's already, he's already taken some big hits so far this year. There's like three hits he's taken where he's been shaking up on. He has a concussion history and like he's 27, but he's already had you know, some problems with his hamstrings and, and being like lower body injury happens to him, he's kind of done just because so much of his game is built around speed. But all that being said, like he's a really precise route runner. Um, that go up and get catching May in Jacksonville was you know, absolutely ridiculous. And just like the way he's been, you know, kind of used like DeAndre Hopkins to start the year out in like a, a lesser form, you know, it's been kind of ridiculous to start the season off. But they just don't have a lot of receiving talent aside from them. Like Chris Conley's played in. Kansas City wasn't good there. He played in Jackson, like he wasn't good there. Like he's big on the outside, but I think with a lot of the wide receiver positions decisions they made at the position group, they were like looking to hope to get something untapped out of these guys. Like Anthony Miller had one good year. Um, yeah, and the, all the veterans that they got had been either not very good or kind of washed it up. And you go Collins is interesting as far as a like vertical go and get receiver. I kind of like the idea of him being used in the slot some to be able to like make catches in traffic or the middle field and, and pick yards after the catch. I love the the slot fade routes from like their routes in football. Like he'd be used in that regard. And his injury really hurt too. And like his one big catch came on a RPO like glance route against you cover three or cover four. I can't remember exactly what it was. And he was open as able to pick some yards after the catch. But to expect like any of these guys to be like a, a supplementary option to Cooks, I think was kind of kind of strange. It didn't make a whole lot of sense just because the talent wasn't there or they were so unknown. And then they're also expecting to get more other running backs in the past game, but Ingram's not that. And David Johnson, you know, broke one tackle in that Cleveland game aside from that, but we know what he is as a pass catcher too. But yeah, it's kind of been a strange combination to rely so much on a, on a guy who's, you know, sub six feet and weighs 180 pounds and is taking the hits that he's had. And so I do have concerns like his ability to last throughout the entire year and how sustainable it is he can keep up this whole production you know, being fed as much as he is right now. Yeah, and I suppose if you you know if he does go down, I think you know you're in a world of pain at that spot. I suppose, and until Nico Collins comes back, is on the IR just like Tyrod. Um, and and I and I suppose when you when you watch the the passing attack as well, it seems like well from from what I watched in the film, I thought Chris Connolly was open quite regularly. Didn't see him. Uh, didn't go to him. He did go to him one time in a sort of kind of in a sort of in cutting route. I think it was a slant. Um, and should have caught it, and he dropped it. So I suppose that's not going to build chemistry. And you, you've got to hope Mills, if he's going to take a step forward and having a full week and almost like a mini buy this week, played on the Thursday night, that you'll have mm -hmm. some time to get some reps and and try and get a bit of cohesion with these guys because it was definitely lacking. Um, and and I, I suppose it's 
it's one of those things, isn't it? How how does that improve? Um, and it's only with time, and, and you don't have that time in the middle of the season because the padded practices and the current CBA are so few and far between that it's going to be you know small incremental improvements at best. And it's it's a it's a bit of a concern, I suppose. We'll, you know, we'll we'll see as we come into this week, and we'll come into Buffalo in a bit. But I suppose the big call from Cully this week was. You know, and, and I praised him for coming out and openly admitting that he got it wrong in Cleveland and, and, and not taking the penalty, which seemed odd at the time. Um, but what seemed even more strange was looking at, when I was watching that, the, the film back today, and you see a team punting on the opposite team's 39, and you think, it just looked visually weird. Um, yeah. And, and he's now done that twice in less than a week. Is that you know, and I think that was probably always the deep-seated fear by a guy like that. You know, he's not really had a lot of experience in making these kind of calls. And you saw in Cleveland, Frank Ross has got the play sheet over. He's trying to help him, and I don't know if he's somebody's you know if it's if it's Casario or whoever signalling down to him. But I suppose that's probably something that you know we were rightly concerned about, and it, and, it, and it's come to fruition, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, like how low the bar is, where making a mistake like just as ridiculous as he made in Cleveland. I mean, personally, I think the right call would have been to decline the penalty and go for them fourth and one. Like, fourth and one's a lot easier to get them third and ten, especially on that side of the field and have a game yeah. that they're playing too. And then, but like, to make a decision as, you know, as dumb as that was, and then be like, yeah, I was wrong, I apologize for the, you know, a lot of like he was for that. I think it just kind of says um, a lot about like where we are right now with coaches and how you admit that they aren't there right all the time. And just like for finally somebody be like, yeah, I screwed up. That's on me. And he just is refreshing to hear. And then the, the Panthers game, the same thing too. I mean, he said in the preseason, he kicked all those field goals. And he said, well, let me go with my gut on this. I'm not going to listen to the computers or whatever. And whenever you're down like that, whenever you're playing against the best defense in football, um, if it's even the best defense in football in the year, I don't think so. But right now it currently is. And have a rookie quarterback and finally have something going on. It really is like, I don't think they were trying to win last Thursday. I think they were trying to make sure that Davis Mills didn't die. I think they were trying to make sure they didn't lose 42 to seven. And so they were really risk averse. And so and it kind of goes back to like the whole idea of like hiring Coley. Like Coley wasn't really hired here to win football games at all. He was hired here to fix the culture, get people excited to play football in Houston again, get people to want to play football in Houston again. And like kind of like refurbish the, how everybody feels about the franchise through the league internally after it happened Bill O'Brien too. And so I think like Coley's like a guy who'll be here for, you know, two years and then hopefully, you know, if they trade Watts and they're able to hit some of those picks, you know, in that draft and they're able to be kind of closer to a rebuild can get kind of more of a head coach that you expect to win football with football games with. But I think Coley's kind of like a, it's like a lifetime achieving award for him. Like I love him. You know, I think he's a beautiful man. I, I wish I could you know, hop in a time machine and play football with, for him. Uh, and all that, but like as far as like an X's and O's thing, he doesn't do a whole lot. And in these kind of simple decisions like this, it's good that in a way the Texans aren't like a a great football team. So it's not like a playoff game or a must win and get into a game where he's making decisions like this and lose because of it, and the whole season's ruined. Yeah, it just seems really basic, though. I think you know, and when you when you watch it, and it seems there's a bit of a sort of feeling it's all kind of unnecessary as well. As like, how can something at this level that simple? Be mishandled and look we've seen you know terrible play calls and or lack of calls and you know trying to trying to go for it on your fourth and your own 30 against Baltimore last year remember on the I think that was the third loss of the season when, you know where the stadium was empty at home 
Um, but I suppose it, it probably just kind of summed up maybe our situation because when you look at the stands, the, and I saw a couple of pictures of, you know, how many empty seats they were, I think that was probably the first time, you know, because it takes, it takes a long time to fill up, right? And, you know, even on the good days when the team's playing well, you know, people will mill in, you know, well into the second quarter. So you don't kind of get a feel for it until then, but it was pretty empty. And I think, you know, maybe, I don't know if that, that'll resonate with anybody um, in the hierarchy. Um, but when it's that, you know, when it's, when it's that poorly attended on a Thursday night, I suppose, you know, and then you, your coach gets a simple thing like that wrong. Because that was a big turning point in the game, but, you know, because for, for all your inefficiency, Carolina blew it because they could have, if they, instead of just uh, kicking a field goal in fourth and one, they went for it and they could have just built themselves a buffer. They didn't go for it. You go, you know, you, you get the ball back at that point in the second half. You've just managed to piece a drive together for the first time. You start to look like you can move the ball and then you take the momentum out. They go up and score, then they get a field goal. And then, you know, the, at that point, you know, we're not powerful enough on offense to, to, to roar back in it in any way, any way beyond maybe a three point deficit. So, yeah, it just, it, it, it just showed a lack of awareness and a lack of, I suppose, any, I know he blamed emotion previously, which was ironic because the whole point is he's been here because he was the, the antithesis of the emotional coach we've just had. Yeah. Um, and then he blames emotion for that. And I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's blamed for this week. And he just says, look, it's about gut feel. But, um, you know, my gut feel is this offense isn't going to put up a lot of points. So any chance you get in their territory, you've got to exactly. go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also it's like, when we make decisions like that too, you're not making the decision with the idea that the other team's not going to score points because they're going to score points, you know, and so you have to maximize every drive as much as you can because the Texans have a good defense. And like Thursday, it really kind of felt like a Bill O'Brien game, but without the defense to back it up and the talent, you know, to play through it and win a game like that. And like, I really think like two things kind of happened in that game was McCaffrey got hurt in the first half and it took the Panthers a while to find an offensive equilibrium and at halftime they made adjustments and, I mean, Houston didn't stop them once in the second half. They had four scoring drives. The only time they didn't score in their uh, scoring drive was at the end of the game. And then with with Houston offensively, you know, they had that one scoring drive where Mills was in a shotgun, and Caroline kind of only rushed four. And after that, they just blitzed him. And they didn't allow him any sort of time to, to pick things up. They didn't allow him any time to go through his reads at all and kind of have like a slow brain. They just blitzed him. He said trouble picking it up. And he was hit over and over and over again after they had that one scoring drive. And Caroline just had, you know, two good adjustments and Houston really didn't have any. And the talent difference was so overwhelming that they couldn't do anything about it at all. Yeah, and I suppose the, the benefit of their front, and they, they run a 4-3, not totally dissimilar to kind of Lovey um, Smith's scheme. But yeah, I think the, the, the big difference between those two defences is they can get home with three and four rushers regularly. Um, and you know when you've got a guy like Derek Brown anchoring your line, when you've got you know two pass rushers who can get after it every down, you don't have to rotate them in and out. They're there, you know they're there getting after the ball. Hassan Reddick's been a complete revelation moving position. You know Burns is a you know a first round pick, and they just got after it and got after it, and and it, it uh, they they stopped the run, and they just couldn't you could move the ball, and then they just pin their ears back and go because they know you've kind of got it got to chase the game at that point. But yeah, I, I, I suppose that, that defence has come together ahead of schedule, I suppose, under Matt Rule and, and uh, Phil Snow, uh, the DC there. But I, I, it's it probably showed you the difference between the two schemes because what I thought, you know, for all its lack of talent on our defence on, on, on the side of the ball, Matt, the, the gaps in the zone, I don't think I've ever seen a team look that amateurish in terms of coverage and how loose the zones were. 
in how is it Greg Jackson is it, who's the safeties coach this year? I'm sure, he was an LSU guy. Um, he's coming this year. Previously at the Cowboys to coach the safeties, and how he can look his colleagues in the face in the meeting rooms this week when Lonnie Johnson's almost 30, 40 yards out of the play, like they're like both him and Eric Murray multiple times were so deep they were taking themselves out of the play they became ineffectual. You know you were playing you were effectively down to nine men at some point, and how you know and how is that possible? Because I've I've never it got roasted on the broadcast by Troy Aikman. It looks so abundantly obvious at the time when you watch the all twenty two back and you take a still image. It looks even worse. So you know how is that possible and will it get any better? Yeah, I I think that kind of, it's hard. You know, I really wish the broadcast was a little bit wider so we can see the safety play or for it to be behind the line of scrimmage. But one of my favorite things about watching the Texans defense and you know in Levy, the Levy Smith era is whenever there's a wide receiver standing completely still, just staring at the quarterback. And like a, the quarterback's back there for a couple of seconds and they hit a guy flat-footed, just like finding a hole in the zone and nobody picks him up. Nobody's driving on the route. There's no, there's no pickup at all. And he's able to just like find, find holes that have been around since this defense has been run in the early 2000s. It's an arcade defense. And like, I mean, I know Lonnie was playing some single high. They've been trying to play. They mix up. They mix stuff up a lot more in that Cleveland game. It wasn't like all covered two, but it was majority of the time covered two. And like, look, Lonnie wasn't a good cornerback in college. He wasn't a good cornerback for Bill O'Brien. He had that one play against Kansas City where he was holding Kelsey and it wasn't called. Um, he he doesn't have the ability to stay in front of guys and play man coverage. And at safety, like the only good thing he's shown is they can tackle better. But he hasn't shown any instincts of that position really at all whatsoever. And Murray, the same thing. Like, he's just slow back there. He's a poor tackler. And if he's your last line of defense, like, you're going to score against some kind of like we saw in that Cleveland game, too, and Nick Chubb. I just, I think the problem, like, with the defense is this, this scheme is really heavy oriented on linebackers being cover, and they don't have coverage linebackers. You know, Zach Cunningham is, is bad in coverage. Christian Kirksey's pretty bad in coverage. I know he had a, a tip ball interception against Jacksonville and was a, a pro football focused player of the week because of his high coverage grade. But historically, he's been bad at coverage. And Gregor Hill is the coverage linebacker who can't cover very well. And their front four still hasn't been able to you know, create a whole lot of pressure. It was the best that it looked against Carolina because Carolina is awful pass protection this year. But they still didn't like get to Darnold enough to overwhelm him. The pressure wasn't consistent enough. And the top two times they had a chance to make a big play, they didn't capitalize on those two force fumbles that they were able to recover too. And so they just don't have like a, a consistent overall pass rush against you know, good offensive lines. And they don't have a linebacker, linebacker group at all to really run this defense at all. And unless this defense is forcing turnovers and read, you know, for 60% of the five turnovers they've had this year, and I really don't know who's going to be making big plays without him, um, unless they're forcing turnovers so they just can't get stops. Or you see Baker Mayfield have one incompletion. You see Caroline go into our second half without being stopped. And so unless they're, unless they're winning the turnover battle and forcing you know, three or four turnovers in a game, I just don't really see how they're going to win uh, any game solid Davis Mills or even whenever Taylor's back. But yeah, I think it's a, they're going to have to force you know, three or four turnovers and enough stops to help out the offense to be able to make sure that 27 points is enough. Yeah, and I think that the, the, the formula is such a fine line. I think you're right when if they don't win the turnover battle you know, by plus two at least perhaps. Then you know, and and the coaches have a game plan that out coaches the other side. I think those two factors have to come into both coordinators. You know, have to out scheme. But I, I don't see 
how Lovey Smith's defence is going to get the better of anybody apart from because he's not brought any pressure from the second level. You know, and and, it, and I suppose it's quite it's almost it's almost hilarious the fact that you've got a safety sitting thirty yards deep. Why don't you just bring him up to the line of scrimmage and blitz him? Every, you know, every third down or something. <laughs> just just get him involved. You know, and I think yeah. that's that's how bad, bad it looks at, at times. And it was I think the cracks were covered up by the turnovers in weeks one and two. But actually, this defense is just you need really athletic players to make it work. Um, and I, as you said, the linebackers just do not get an up an up depth, um, and they're creeping up all the time because they're concerned we're going to get beat by the run. And then the, 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 any play action, you know, they're out of the game. And I think it's it's probably something that we'll need to keep watching. But it seems like you know, from a layman's point of view, and I, you know, I'm not very, I'm not classically trained in this game by any stretch of the imagination. But it seems so fucking obvious how to beat this defense. And I think it's it's gonna. It could be a long year, I think. I put a couple of clips today and I just said, you know, it could be a long year, this defence, if they don't get these fundamentals down in a, in a way that, you know, in zone is just communication, passing players on. Um, and, you know, when you've got, a, you know, their number one receiver just standing in the middle of the field, wide open, you know, standing still, waiting for the ball to come and picks up 100 yards in the first quarter. I think your people perhaps might not be as concerned as they perhaps should be because it feels like there's going to be a lot of tough days ahead unless they can, you know, really tighten up some of these basic fundamentals of playing zone because and the whole reason why they're not in man, you've got to think, is because he just doesn't trust them coverage ability like you saw mm-hmm. Philip Gaines get roasted time after time last year. Yeah, I forgot about Philip Gaines, but yeah, and that's why they're playing the scheme because they don't have any cornerback talent. You know, I I thought it was a war crime that they kept Bernard Hargraves on this roster after last year. And there's a, a lot of talk, you know, back to everyone about how, how ridiculous that resigning was. Like, it's death, but the thing about death is one person gets hurt, and now he's starting. And Bradley Roby gets traded, and now we have 16 more games of it. Um, you know, with – and so now we're seeing Tremont Smith, and he's not very good as well either. And Terrence Mitchell got hurt. And so it's just, it's just a mess at quarterback, and they don't have anybody who can play man at all. And so they run this old defense. It doesn't work very well unless you have – an incredible front four pass rush, a great group of linebackers, and that's the only way they can work out at all. And they don't have that. And so they're just having to do this instead because it's like a, a least brutal form of death, you know, rather than watching Vernon Hargraves and Smith and whoever else decides to toss out a cornerback and you know, man coverage, and they lose because they're giving up you know, multiple touchdown passes over, over 20, 30 yards or so. And so that's what they're running this defense, and it hasn't worked out at all. And uh, I didn't think it was going to work out. But I guess the only good thing about it so far is that Justin Reed's been incredible in it. And like, he fits in well, like a too high scheme instead of just playing deep middle by himself or having to kind of play more in that spiral. I think he's better in a too high, like like a quarters defense or a cover two defense like this. And that's what like, the only saving grace from him is that Reed's been you know fantastic. And you know he has that knee injury. And so who knows how long he's going to be out for too right now. Yeah, I saw earlier it said he's at walkthroughs today. He's participating, so I suppose that's a good sign. Um, as as we sit here early in the week, but yeah, I, I, but again, he's he's hurt. So you know, can you, you know, if, I know you've got to pay somebody at some point. You can't let everybody go and keep churning as much as Casario likes to do. You think he, you think he was getting agent fees or something? The amount of transactions we've had so far, but um, yeah, it's, it's it's I suppose without read it, it the flaws were were exposed even more than they have been. And it's it's uh, it'll be a welcome addition to get him back for this weekend, um, definitely. But I suppose in just touching on the personnel changes up front, I, it's a double-edged sword, I think, because you put Jacob Martin in 
and he gives you more athleticism. Uh, but it was his fault for two of the touchdowns because he didn't set the edge. Um, you know, Darnold's first run, and then and then one later on in the uh, with the the, old, the classic um, tight tight end uh, jet jet motion round the back end, and he takes it in for on a reverse, and he didn't set the edge. So yeah, for everything he gives you in a bit of athleticism, and he gets you got a quick first step. That's completely outdone if you can't if you can't build a wall on the perimeter to to make sure that you know you're not you're not folding uh, like like we did a couple of times there. So I suppose it was interesting those guys were there. I saw a couple of tweets about what's Charles Amenehu done um, to piss people off. I don't know his agent was there. I'm not one to read into kind of these kind of social media intricacies, but you know his agent was yeah. there, um, which I thought you know considering the circumstances, if that was me, I wouldn't have given him a pass. Um, to to come and watch the game, considering you know he's probably the, one of the main drivers, if not the the main driver for the predicament we're in, uh, with our quarterback or our former quarterback, soon to be. Um, so yeah, you had Charles Amena who kind of get dropped, and you also had Jordan Jenkins who I've said right from the start can't set the edge. He's not great in the rush. I don't know why we signed him. Um, Demarcus Walker's been a bit better, but they seem to be be not as high on him. Uh, but what did you make of the changes up front? Because we kind of seem to be. I think when you're changing it this quickly, this early in, in the in the season, it probably shows they're not really sold on any of these guys, even though they hyped it up. Yeah, and I mean, it's like Martin has never been good at stopping the run. And like Jacob Martin's like a mean player, you know, and uh, like he's he's a good like flash pass rusher, but you can only play him on passing downs. We, we saw it last year in Pittsburgh. We all like that game they lost to Pittsburgh. They still have one of the worst run offenses in the entire league last year. And they just ran power and trap to Jacob Martin's side over and over and over again. And they were that was the only good game Pittsburgh had last year in the run. And it's because they ran directly at Jacob Martin. And like you can only play him in passing downs and in and in, the, and in those situations because he's just such a liability there at that spot. Omanehu, they're trying to play him at defensive end, but he's he's not good against the run. He's never been good against the run at all. He can't, and like it's just like his brain doesn't can't pick up the keys or whatever. Like he doesn't he doesn't see the steps well. He doesn't see like the dipping a shoulder pad to know how to and know like which gap he's supposed to hit and how what leverage he's supposed to use. And he just uh, he's he's complete waste there. And a defensive end too. If you watch his pass rush snaps it in, he's in bad in the spots because he doesn't have that you know edge quickness to be able to bend the edge. You have to worry about him beating you around you. He he wins with you know, long arms and bull rushes and swims and uh, like uh, against like tackles who are bigger than him. Those rushes only work if there's a threat at all around the edge because those are counter moves. And so he doesn't have that like staple pass rush moves as an edge pass rusher. But that being said, he's a good interior rusher. And the Texans really haven't used him all that much from the interior. And, like, he should, you know, I wouldn't even play him on rundowns either. I would just use him on interior on interior pass rushing downs and kind of put him like a spot that he's better use at. I think Ross Blacklock's probably been, like, the most interesting player on the front. He's been able to get consistent pressure. He's been better against the run game. He can actually – he has good leverage. He has a, a good rip, a good long arm. He's made some splash plays. Willie Collins, a lot of people are excited about him. You know, come back from a shoulder injury in Vegas last year, but he's been awful. You know, again beating in the run, again beating the run over and over again, not having any sort of effect in the past game. They brought Jaleel Johnson back. He was bad against Cleveland. He's bad against last week. Um, you know, Vincent Taylor was was actually really good against Jacksonville, but he's hurt. He's out for six weeks. And then, like you mentioned, like with Jenkins and Walker, they're kind of like the exact same player. And those are more pass rush you know players. And so they just don't really have like a 
an impact pass rusher here. They don't have a defensive lineman who can play every down, and they don't have the linebackers who can, in the run game, they don't have linebackers who can be good without good run players in front of them. Like Zach Cunningham's really good season, you know, came whenever he was a weak side linebacker with DJ Reader, Van Archer McKee, and JJ Watt, and those guys in front of him where he was able to just chase down plays from backs and make tackles. And now that doesn't exist. Now he's having to actually make like reads and make run fits and, and fight off pullers and go through two blocks and make plays, and he can't do that at all. And uh, it's kind of like Kirksey's made some like good reads. Kim and Gregor Hill's made some good reads, but they're easy to block at the second level. And so that's why they're kind of like in the mess room of the front where they just don't have an impact player. And Zach Cunningham was paid to be an impact player on the front seven. He was paid to anchor the front seven, but he just isn't that level of player. He's a, he's a complimentary player. He's nice to have, um, especially on a rookie contract, but he's not somebody that you can build a front around. And that's what they did with the extension of the game at the end of the Bill O'Brien era. I think that contract, I mean, it's, it's up for debate, but that contract's looking worse and worse every week. And you, and nobody played well last year in that defense. Um, but right now, that's that's got to be right up there, I think, with, with one of some of the worst contracts we've given out, considering you're paying them, you know, top 10, to top 12, or whatever it is, money at the, at the linebacker position. I know the market's kind of grown arms and legs since, you know, Darius Leonard and all that kind of got their, their deals this year. So it, it pales relatively in significance, you know, compa- in comparison to their, their contracts. But considering he's on 13.5 million APY, um, or whatever it works out this year, his in his ineffectiveness in both the pass and the run game is 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 a big hole and it's a big, you know, these contributions per dollar isn't great. So I I don't know how long that relationship lasts. What do you think about the kind of discipline issues and all that kind of stuff? Because certainly when he's out there, he's not he doesn't improve the team. Um, and you can't trade him this year because your dead cap's too high. But but what what do you think the future is there? Because I I come back to that point that you don't mind losing games with rookies. And young guys who are learning, like Jonathan Greenard being out there, great to see him do something because he's a mm-hmm. young player. You might be able to, you know, mold into you know a rotational, you know, role player at some point in the next couple of years. But when you're paying a guy like that, like Zach Cunningham, what do you think the future is for him? And and, and do you see any other guys on this roster really right now, defense or offense, that you think might be worth paying? Yeah, well, well, like with Cunningham, that was kind of one of the interesting things that I was looking forward to whenever the season started was that he would move from Mike after McKinney went down and back to his more natural uh, weak side linebacker with the signing Christian Kirksey. And so I was interested to see how he would look put on the backside plays and if he would be able to, you know, kind of make more of those tackles they made previously. And he hasn't been able to do it yet at all. And they're also running at him. And they're, they also played teams since Cleveland uh, that runs a lot outside zone. Jacksonville kind of runs a little bit of everything. They're probably Houston where they're not really good at one scheme. Carolina's a big outside zone team, team, but they're bad at running it. They have more success running like Wham and pin and pull plays. They're more kind of counters to the outside zone scheme, but he just hasn't made much of an impact there at all. But like the problem with Cunningham's contract, though, is they um, they re- renegotiated it. And so they can't cut him after this year. They can't trade him after this year. They can cut him two years from now and, and be okay. But then they would have a dead cap hit of like $10 million if they cut him after the season because of the renegotiation they did there. And it kind of goes back to like Nick Casario's off, off season this past year, where it was kind of split out in like two separate directions. It was hard to tell like if they thought they were going to be good and were trying to be good or if they were rebuilding and the decision to, you know, renegotiate 
uh, Lawson's contract and Tunsil's contract and Cunningham's contract and Cook's contract didn't really make much sense because they're limiting future cap space to create cap space for this year so they can do things like sign Jordan Jenkins and Andre Roberts and sort of thing. And so I fully understand it. And so I think Houston's kind of stuck with Cunningham, you know, for at least two more years, but they can always bite the bull if they want to. They want to try and maybe get like a, a fourth round draft pick from them for a team that, that needs somebody who can play that linebacker position. But I think like, if you're talking about like the future players or whatever, I mean, defensively, I think John Reed is the only guy here who, who is really like really good. I think Blacklock's interesting. I think Greener's interesting. Offensively, like, you know, Howard still hasn't been a good enough run blocker and playing guard kind of, you know, that's important. Like you, there's no, you don't pay a guard to be a good pass blocker. You pay him to be able to create lengths and rush game hasn't done that. Um, you know, Sharping is still like, I think he's kind of a backup offensive lineman. He, he's kind of like Xavier Suf, you know, you know, like he can be competent sometimes, but there's too many yeah. big whiffs, especially in the run game, that kind of derails an offense. So I really expect him to be here, you know, long-term either. Obviously a big favorite trading Tunsil, both in the renegotiation, they really can't uh, trade him until after this season, maybe, or probably that even two years from now. And based on all the, all the other decisions they made, it really doesn't seem like that's something they'd be interested in doing. And uh, it still feels like Jack Eastry has some sort of influence too, especially the David Johnson resound this past year. And offensively, like that's really kind of it, you know, they're just, again, there's just not like a lot of young impactful players on this team. And, uh, and it really is kind of all about what they get from Watson and their ability to nail these like three top 10 draft picks they could potentially have in the upcoming draft. And that's what has to kickstart rebuild. And they have to nail those picks because there just is a, a dearth of talent all throughout the roster right now. Yeah, and I suppose that, that's the thing, isn't it? Because you got like guy like Scotty Phillips sitting on there. Why not? You know, instead instead of watching Philip Lindsay trying to cut it to the outside when he when he misses get, get gaps in front of him because he just <laughs> doesn't he isn't running with much confidence right now. And I don't know if that's a health thing or it's just purely mental. Um, you know, and David Johnson talked about what playing here did done mentally last year, being involved in that trade and everything like that. And you think some of that circus has maybe died down right now, but yeah, there just seems to be kind of yeah that that's the big concern in the back of the head, isn't it? It's just like where will this team be because they're they're not losing to get better at the minute they're losing because they're losing because there's not a lot of great players in there and I think you know it's it we're probably you know it was a bit of a rude awakening on Thursday night and I think we're probably going to have one again on Sunday but before we come on to that you, when you get the mini bye week firstly did you watch any of the college stuff on Saturday I've found myself watching a bit more of that than I have done in previous years because I suppose you, you start to the mind starts to wander to the draft already um <laughs> Uh, naturally it will and I suppose if it doesn't get any better on Thursday you know we'll have the pick of the bunch but have you got any kind of initial thoughts on the college thing or do you like to let it settle and just see because a, a lot changes I was thinking the re- in the rhetoric that you that you got available to you you know there's guys who are not talked about at all and then they end up going the first round like Joe Tyrant the boxer whoever you know Jamal Davis out of uh, North Carolina you know he goes you know late but you know analysts didn't talk about him so do you kind of like to let it settle or, or do you kind of dip in and out over the season just to keep one eye on it yeah I mean my problem is that the college games take like four and a half hours and I went to a school in San Marcos Texas that has a bad football team but you know they drink a lot of beer before the games. And that was kind of the good part about going to football games there. But in my life, went to the games at all. And so because of that, like, I don't have any rooting interest. There's no teams I really like at all in, in the college football game. And also there's only so much football I can watch. And so I try to watch every condensed game out there. You know, I watch every Texas all 22. 
I have, you know, watched all between two of like who they're going to play that week and whatever articles I can try to write in between now and then. And so I don't, I don't have enough time or enough enjoyment of the college games to, to watch college football Saturday either. So I don't really have much of a, a thought on these quarterbacks. But I think the biggest thing is like what you mentioned, where there's always guys that come out of nowhere every year. You know, like entering this year, it was like, well, it's either me, Hal or Rattler. And that's kind of it. And, uh, and Willis is like an interesting option, maybe as being like the third quarterback. And there's always new guys that come off the board who play well and kind of come out of nowhere. And so it's kind of hard. So you expect something, unless you're like a Lawrence type uh, before the season to kind of expect like this is how it's going to play out at the end of the year. And so I'll watch them after the season's over once all the videos available and things a little bit more settled. So I'm not like, um, there'd be a really good article somebody could write where they have like a quarterback stock list for the Texans for next year and they kind of go up and yeah. down based off their performance, but it's not something I have enough time to do. Yeah, I think the guy from Ole Miss is going to come out a bit this year, Matt Corral. I don't mm-hmm. think he played. I don't think he played this week. I might be wrong in that. Um, but I, I've sort of dipped in and out and tried to watch some high. You know, as you said, there's only so much you can watch. Um, you spend a lot of uh, a lot of hours or needless hours for whatever in this team. Uh, exactly the same. So I'm you, you kind of find once you've done that, you've you've only got limited appetite for the rest. But but it was interesting. But some of the pro reflections just around the league. Um, there and I think going back to the one hit wonder or the one year wonder I think that's a it's a dangerous dangerous sort of kind of trap to fall in as an evaluator um, and the Texans will probably need to be very careful of that this year and I've always been wary of them I know Baker Mayfield was one he's getting there now but Joe Burrow kind of came together a bit I know this is year two for him now but they looked like they'd kind of come together. I know Pittsburgh's struggling. They can't move the ball on offense. There's only so much that that defense can do despite the talent. But he looked, you know, like he's coming together now. So maybe, did you, do you think that evaluation, I know it was it was an historic season in college football and probably never be topped. Um, but do you think a guy like him coming in and performing now, despite, you know, I don't think uh, the coaching, coaching staff there is great. I don't think he's got much protection up front, but it looks like he's bringing it together, albeit with Jamar Chase throwing to, um, catching catching balls on the perimeter, but but I think Burrow might, you know, maybe let teams kind of be a bit more open to the one year wonders because I think the track record on them in the in the last few years have been has been sketchy at best. Yeah, with Burrow is kind of I mean he said himself and they asked like why have you had so much success or whatever. It's like, well I'm twenty four years old. I'm like I'd better be you know, being up on these college kids who are eighteen, nineteen years old and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think his age had a lot to do with that season. Um and he's been kind of like Alex Smithish in Cincinnati, where uh, the vertical pass isn't there, but he's like intelligent. He finds his reach pretty well. I know he had kind of a bad, his first two games are pretty bad to start the year off. And they try to run like a lot of empty sets. They try to run a lot of spread sets, but they don't have the pass protection to really allow it. And so it's hard to get like really a good feel for Burrow. He just doesn't have, I think, the arm strength to be like a, like an all pro level quarterback. I think he'd be like, you know, like, really good but I don't think you're ever going to see him like as a perennial like pro bowl sort of player for that reason well unless like his brain gets so smart and the skill talent around him is so overwhelming that you know they're able to break tackles like Boyd made last week and uh, and kind of overcome you know his lack of arm strength but he throws a touch and he's accurate and uh, he's for sure a starter but I don't think he'll ever like come close to like a like, the, like Justin Herbert for example you know and that's kind of the weird thing about from us, like in our perspective of it, one of the things I've kind of learned from watching quarterbacks too is that, like, how the person is matters a lot. And especially at the quarterback position, 
And there's some guys who are just kind of like too far out there to like lead a team and, and get it. I think Deshaun Kaiser, somebody comes to mind like that too. And so now like really knowing these guys, it's hard um, to have an idea of like what they're going to do in the future. But it's kind of fun, like their rookie year, it usually takes like six games or so. They have to be able to give an idea of the type of player that they are. And uh, so I, even like with rookie quarterbacks, I don't really watch much of the draft, but you kind of figure out kind of quickly early on, like who's, who's good and who is it, you know? Like it's kind of easy to tell like Drew Locke's bad and Herbert's incredible after, you know, a few starts. And sometimes yeah. the challenge is so overwhelming too. Yeah, I suppose I probably had a couple of reflections on that as well over the weekend that if you think you don't necessarily, you know, because you don't need to tank because if you look, you know, Justin Herbert wasn't the first player picked in his draft class. You know, Tua went over him um, and, and Burrow. And he's, he's been by far the best quarterback. I thought his performance in Kansas City was, he looks the real deal. And I think you'll be seeing, you know, as long as he stays healthy, you'll be seeing him for a long time. But I remember watching his bowl game in Dallas uh, for Oregon. I think it was against Auburn. And I remember watching that game going, that guy will never be a pro. Um, that was my, you know, watching it. So, you know, mm-hmm. a lot can change. And But when you, when exactly what you said there, Matt, about the the type of person they are, uh, Spencer Rattler was booed or was getting booed by his own fans and they were calling for the backup. Um, and I think, yeah, he's one of those ones that you hope, you know, if, it's not us that falls into that trap of the evaluation there because I don't think, you know, and I, like these, these, all the teams, even us, despite the dysfunction, I'll have a lot of information on these guys. But yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, it was a strange one. But then also I, I did think at the same time, when you watch the struggles of Zach Wilson and when you watch the struggles um, of Justin Fields, there's also an argument to say we don't take a quarterback too early until you're in a position where you feel like you can house them and look after them and put them in the right situation because, you know... And I think Herbert's a good example to to copy from. I suppose the offensive line they've tried to rework that this year, uh, but you know he's a smart guy, gets rid of the ball quickly. The scheme around him, you know, helped him to do that. Um, yeah, but yeah, you might not want to take a guy too early or force yourself into doing that um, just because you don't have anybody else. Because you you know you you might be better stocking up elsewhere uh, rather than uh, rather than just jumping for the next guy that comes along. Yeah, and that's kind of like the of the hard, like, tug-of-war of it, you know, it's, you want to build a team until you're a quarterback away, and then, and then kind of try to find somebody from there, and then you kind of end up like the Colts are, where you're in quarterback purgatory, and you have Brissett, and then you have Phillip Rivers, and now you have Carson Wentz, and you're never, like, bad enough to, like, get, like, a, a really good quarterback, but you're also never, like, in a spot where or you have to make a trip a huge amount of assets to move up and get the guy that you want to. And so it's either either kind of blow out and, and get one whenever you have the chance to, or by the time you're good enough, you have the, the chance to get like exactly the guy that you want also. And I think the other thing too about rookie quarterbacks is, you know, the environment that they end up in is really important too. Like I don't think Josh Allen would have been Josh Allen if he went to the Bears, for example. Yeah. I think Josh Allen is Josh Allen because Buffalo selected him put a coaching staff around him to develop him, put a great offense around him, uh, use him as a runner really well. Uh, had a great defense to be able to put him in like, you know, a, a good spot to succeed in short field positions and like slowly brought him along and also like had like faith in him the entire time. Whereas like if Josh Allen went to uh, Chicago, that probably would not happen all whatsoever. You know, they probably would have ran this like cute little gimmick offense. They probably would expand stuff. He probably would never had the, the wide receiver talent would push the ball downfield and he would have been a backup quarterback by now, you know? And so, so much of it also kind of depends on 
the situation. They're like, of course, those quarterbacks like Herbert and like Mahomes and like Watson, the talent is so overwhelming. It doesn't matter where they go to and they're going to have success. But a lot of these guys, it also kind of depends on you know, where they end up and, and how good the culture is and how good the, the leadership is and how good the coaches are and their ability to actually develop the talent that they bring in too. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of begs the question as well. When do you draft when you probably know, um, you know, if you're Casario in your heart of hearts, that you're probably going to have to move on to another coaching staff or, or some and a new iteration of your coaching staff as well, because you can, you know, you could draft players, say it's next year, and we're having a discussion about this with a couple of guys at the weekend. What you could get, you could hypothetically get all these picks now, um, and then you know you might draft them for a certain type of scheme, um, and then if you move on for your coaching staff in a year's time, which is a more than plausible situation might occur. Then they might not necessarily fit that scheme, and you've given you know you've waited for these resources to come and spent them on something that might not fit the next the next coaching yeah. staff. So you've got to hope the plans there, but um, you know there's a lot to change and a lot of variables kind of go into this sort of next phase of rebuilding. I know we're kind of sitting talking about this already when we're only sort of mm-hmm. going into week four, but you know I think I, th- I think it's a pertinent discussion. But the, but yeah, I think that's got to be the fear, isn't it? There's so much could change. There's so many variables. Um, you might not even get these picks, you know, you, you might not materialise. Um, so it kind of feels all, all the time, even though, you know, the performance of Thursday night wasn't great. Still that kind of limbo feeling that just kind of echoes around and you feel that you can't move on quite yet. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why we're talking about this, though, is because, again, like with Davis Mills and everything we saw from Stanford, everything that we've seen from so far, the way the run game has been, with offensive lines perform, the way the defense is right now, uh, I and mean, this team is probably one and seven, you know? And so it's like, maybe it's two and six, you know, instead, but it's good. I mean, they're, they're going to be, you know, like two and six or one and seven, probably after this like tough spells, the games goes through and, and that's until Tyrod Taylor comes back, you know? And so that's kind of like where we're like, we're already at this point where you, know, you lose Taylor for a month and that's been enough to kind of derail the entire season. Yeah, that's right. And I, I suppose, yeah, you think two wins is probably, about right. I certainly don't see under any circumstances getting a win this weekend. I know you're a big sort of Josh Allen fan, Matt, in terms of his progress. Do you think that the uptick in his passing accuracy is sustainable? I mean, he's just put 43 points, whatever it was, on what was meant to be the best defensive front in football. Um, so I could see him putting up a you know a hefty number of points and a hefty number of yards this weekend, and it's kind of hard to see any reason why they wouldn't. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for sure it is. And I know he didn't start off like looking like last year's Josh Allen the first two weeks of the year, but TJ Watt was incredible in week one, and they lost that game because of a blocked punt. And then the Dolphins have still have bad run defense, too. And, you know, Tua got hurt in that game, and they didn't need Josh Allen to be like that level of Josh Allen. So why kind of waste your time running your best plays and, and putting your best offense out there? whenever you can still win 35-0 by incompleting 17 passes, you know. And so I think for sure, like, the accuracy is not going to change. The talent's not going to change. And, you know, they're a team that's really done an incredible job just, like, working on a strong motion, working with the speed, um, working with, like, how, how he processes reads and the way, like, they run their route concepts to, to make things kind of, like, a lot simpler to be able to see, too. And uh, and the way they use them in a run game as well. And so I have no doubt, like, Allen's going to – like, I, I don't worry about regression at all. I have no doubt that he's, like, an MV caliber quarterback. He's going to be so, you know, for the future. 
And, like, this game for me is kind of my version of the Super Bowl because, like, I loved Allen going back to his rookie year after he leaped over Anthony Barr. And he's a, he's a funny guy just because that draft, all the draft Twitter and all, all winter long was all just dunking on Josh Allen because he's inaccurate. And he's a typical NFL scouts quarterback. He's, you know, tall and white and strong. And he has a big arm, but he doesn't know how to play the position. He should be playing tight end. And uh, that's all you heard. And, like, you start watching him play. And, like, he wasn't good his rookie year, but he did things that nobody else can do, you know? Like, he, he hurled over Anthony Barr. <laughs> and just, like, to have the, the balls to even try to pull it off. But that game against Houston that they lost because he threw that pick six to uh, Jonathan Joseph, he stiffed arm J.J. Watt that game. Like, Ball was coming for a sack attempt, and he stiff-armed him with one arm. And, like, nobody can do that, like, do that at all whatsoever. And so, like, the, the feats of athleticism were so outrageous that you're kind of hoping that you know, they can be able to harness that and turn him into um, at least, like, a, a good quarterback. I never thought he would be, like, as good as he is right now, somebody who absolutely loves Allen. But that, that's exactly what happened, though. And they made great move training for Stephon Diggs. I didn't like the Cole Beasley signing to happen, but he's been a great slot receiver. I really like the Emmanuel Sanders signing last year to replace you know, John Brown with him too. And so, yeah, I'm expecting Allen to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, and I'm going to enjoy every second of it after being, you know, lauded for, you know, with our own website and other people for you know, my love of Josh Allen over the years. So this is probably the, my most exciting game from a, a non-Texans perspective, you know. Yeah, I think so. And if you watch the tape of Leslie Fraser's defense in the playoff game, and they brought a lot of nickel blitzes, uh, guys coming up from the secondary, and I think they'll, they'll you know, Carolina have laid the the blueprint there in the second half of how to how to nullify this playbook, and it, and it's the same set of protections, it's the same route concepts, it's you know ninety percent of the the same playbook, perhaps with some Pep Hamilton refinements. So there's going to be a lot of pasting copy of what they know works. And I think Davis Mills could be in for quite a, a big day. And I think what he needs to do in this game, I think, Matt, is find ways to, to get the ball out, find the hots, make sure you take the sting out of the rush early so it makes them back off a bit. Because you need to, he probably needs to hit a deep ball in the first quarter just to kind of balance that, you know, keep the defence a bit honest. And I don't know if he's capable of that because some of his deep balls, the one against in Cleveland where it, he threw it to it the wrong half. It just got and the one, yeah, this week when he and when when they went, they actually went over aggressive when they didn't need to be. You want to just keep the drive going before they they chose to punt, and one of them landed out of bounds. Yeah, so it's, it's like, so they need to be aggressive, but I think he needs to prove that he can hit those deep balls, and he needs to he needs to show as well. I think you know, I think what he was good at in college was the sort of anticipation throws across the middle and just being calm in the pocket and stepping up. And I think he he's, he's he needs to find a level. Of of consistency in terms of moving the chains because if you don't have that you can't survive in this league and you're a you're a spot filler backup you know uh, clipboard Jesus um, you know that, that that's been around there you know and I think that's 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 the difference between guys that can that can read the field and make quick decisions and uh, and and not turn the ball over and I think so it'll be an interesting to see if they do open up the playbook a bit and get a bit more exotic and give them looks but I think if it ultimately if we can't run the ball and they're bringing lots of pressure from the secondary and you can't get the ball out quick enough then yeah I think it could be uh it could be a one of their one of those games that you know we've seen before with um in the previous O'Brien days and was it twenty when was it Atlanta and Miami in the same season twenty fifteen um. Was, we just, that, yeah, that was uh, that was fourteen. Yeah. Fourteen, yeah. 
yeah. and 14 and at those points it was some of the worst football I've ever watched so you know I think that this team's in danger of that because this is far less talented than those teams um, and they've just outgunned and outmatched so yeah I'm hoping it's not that but it seems difficult to find a way a way for us to to win um, I think probably that their big question is can they rush rush the passer up front and they've invested a lot of young guys and some guys that you know not necessarily uh, you know coming through issue and Jerry Hughes and whatnot they've not really kind of you know poor pour the fruits that they thought that those signings might do but I think yeah if the Tates can handle the pass rush up front and be able to run the ball it gives them a chance because but the problem is we're going to have to put up 23-24 points just to even keep it close because you know this this defence will be cracked open uh, pretty quickly and pretty promptly I think by all you know by right across the across the Buffalo offence um, in terms of in terms of the game Matt do you think it's uh, you think it's a foregone conclusion 450 yards, something like that for Josh Allen. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping for at least 400 and four. Like I mean, like and by 400 yards, I mean like you know, live like rushing and passing. You know, yeah. 400 yards and four touchdowns. I think it's in play. Um, and like he did that against Washington last week, and they're they're a much better front. And you know what? Buffalo's pass protected better this year. They've run the ball better this year. You Zach Moss had a couple of nice catches. They put so much attention on Stephon Diggs last week by doubling him up and allowed you know. Uh, Beasley get his one versus one matchups, and I I, I love the standard signing. I talked about it on our podcast this summer. Um, just like the ability to have like a, another really good third wide receiver option. So if you do double digs, he can be able to be he, like Sanders is better than your fourth cornerback for your ninth yeah. in the league. And so now you have him man coverage against uh, you know the Tremont Smiths of the world, and so good things happen there. And like Dawson Knox has finally gone from. You know, being athletic and interesting to being like a protective member of this offense too, and so I don't. And and Allen's like a whatever what you say or whatever about him. Like he still is a he is an intelligent quarterback and he's good at finding holes in the zone and he's really good at like progressing through his reads. Like there's a lot of fun watching the behind view of him and you just kind of see like and watch his feet and you just kind of like watch his feet check through each one of his reads as he finds his open receiver. And Brian Dable has done an incredible job at creating open throws for him too. That I don't really, I don't see how they're keeping out of the end zone at all, unless like passes go off of fingertips and they get picked off, or Singletary fumbles a bunch of times, or Jacob Martin's able to beat, you know, Dawkins around the edge and, and create a forced fumble, or Josh Allen goes full Josh Allen, tries to do too much and, and takes a 45 yard sack or whatever, and, and they recover it after he fumbles and they take him in the end zone. You know, like those sort of like wonky things have to happen. They can't happen, you know, they've happened before. But like unless something like that occurs and, and something bizarre really happens, I don't really see how you know, Houston covers it all in this game. Yeah, I think what's what's the point spread right now? I think it's seventeen. Seventeen. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd be I'd be surprised if we covered that to be honest. But it's uh, it's yeah, it's going to be a tough afternoon. It was a game I was meant to be at. Um, obviously with travel restrictions and whatnot. Um, I don't know if I was. I didn't really plan on jumping through any tables, but. I thought certainly it would be a good uh, good experience, but it's not going to be. So we'll be watching it at home. But I think it'll be yeah. I think it'll be a tough out, and and this defense is going to have to clean its act up pretty quickly. Um, in in this sort of self scouting mini bye week this week, in a in a sort of alternative reality, or if you fast forward to when Tyrod turn you know comes back, do you think he can recreate that form and give this team a bit more of a watchable angle than it? That may or may not have with Davis Mills because certainly you know you hope Mills improves and there's a lot of stuff he can improve on, but there's so much that he needs to improve on and so little time and, and so, so few reps in practice. 
I suppose you probably well. Do you turn to Tyrod first and foremost when he comes back? So the second he's he's available, and and do you think, and do you think again that does that does that sort of counterproductive, um, like kind of, you know, detract from his develop, you know, Mills's development in any future kind of games that you he you know he may or may not have. It would seem like he doesn't at this stage. Yeah, I mean the thing with with Mills is that he doesn't have the down to down accuracy to be able to like make the easy throws, and we saw it you know in the first six quarters that he's played that there's open throws that he just he misses guys he's behind he's late you know and and he did the same thing in Stanford too and like I think his best trade in Stanford is that he threw the ball like down the sideline with touch and he wasn't afraid to do it and then the other thing about him is that his pocket awareness is is nearly zero like I like I love the fact that he hangs in the pocket and delivers and takes shots and and doesn't like run away at the first you know, side pressure like you see your young quarterbacks too, like Baker Mayfield was notorious for that. Anytime he saw any sort of pressure come from the interior, he'd run his way into sacks, he'd run right and try to make difficult throws from a run through interceptions. And Mills doesn't do that. But at the same time, like his brain isn't fast enough. He takes a lot of bad hits. And there's only only so many times that you can take, you know, bad hits uh, before they catch up to you too. And so like for those, and he doesn't have the athleticism to make up for his lack of accuracy. Where he'd be like a mobile quarterback, you know, they can take off and run for enough times and take them that first down to their legs that they can make up for you know how many times they miss because a wide receiver is open and those doesn't have that ability. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think for sure Tyrod Taylor makes his team a lot more fun to watch. It makes them a lot more interesting too. And as soon as the sooner he can get back, the better. But it's kind of like if you're one and seven, like is it worth putting him out there? So he, so like you can try to claw out of something or make the games more enjoyable. Or do you just want to keep Mills in and keep progressing the offense and just kind of finally see what you have? And this is like the question that I have to answer, you know, five weeks from now whenever the season's kind of effectively over and Taylor's back. Yeah. And what do you, what would you say is the best case scenario for Davis Mills and however many games he plays? Assuming it's at least four or five. Um what would you want to see of him to think he's 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 got enough ingredients there to to persevere with perhaps longer term? I I mean I think I mean the accuracy has to improve, and I think if he just hits some deep balls also, you know, like if he's able to hit cooks a few because like that's what he showed in college. Like I said, it was probably his best trait was his ability to throw a touchdown on the sideline, and he hasn't done that yet. And he had that one defensive pass interference probably against Cleveland, and that's like really the only downfield pass he's been able to. You're complete. He also ran outside the pocket and hit Andre Roberts on that crossing route because both safeties dived on the on the flat route in front of him. And but like aside from that, like he hasn't really done much at all down the sideline. And so I think if he at least does that and he survives um, and is still fully intact, because there still is a chance that we're going to see Jeff Driscoll this year just because of some of these hits that Davis <laughs> yeah. Mills takes. That uh, I I think if he at least does that. You know maybe. This maybe, but I don't know. I don't. I don't really have very many hopes at all for him. Yeah, I, I've got a scenario in my head that Tyrod's maybe not quite back, and and Mills takes a blow, and you're down to Driscoll, and then you're having to sign some street free agent, and we've got to watch at least one or two games with uh, with some retreads. Whether that, I know, I know a lot of people have called for Cam Newton and things like that, but he can't really throw at this stage. But then you know, is he better than Jeff Driscoll? Yeah, I suppose he is. So I don't know, but I think yeah, I think they're the. Uh, the injury problems and the way that you know the hits that he took on on Thursday night, he's going to have to clean that up and kind of get himself uh, in a position where he's he's kind of going to live a bit more uh, a bit more sustainably, I think, because on Thursday there was one too many hits. So hopefully he can uh, 
he can give us something and give us at least us at least some form of a competitive game. But um, Matt Weston from Battle Red Blog, thank you very much for your time, mate. Much appreciated. Um, keep in touch, and hopefully we'll we'll start to see some greener shoots of uh, future years coming our way. But it seems a little, it seems a long way off right now, I think. And uh, um, but thanks for trying to make some sense of it and embracing the slog that is going to be this twenty twenty one Texans team and. Uh, that'll take another chapter this week on the trip to Buffalo and uh, and then we'll also be back next week to prepare ourselves for episode 100 and it will be talking about the visit of New England as well so the games keep coming so there's no, not going to be many hiding places for Davis Mills I don't think Yeah of course and thanks for having me all I always look forward to you know, doing this once a year and uh, have fun celebrating episode 100 it's a, it's a big moment I hope you have like a, a great show you know playing for it and you know as bad as the bottom is and can be, you know, these sort of things like make kind of make it like, you know, enjoyable and fun and worthwhile, um, even as, as bad and as dark as everything kind of is right now. Well that's it. Um I hope I hope this 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 hour a week and, and whatever else can can help everybody get through a little bit and then the good times will uh, mean that a little bit more, hopefully, should they come again. Um or if they come again. But we'll see. But Matt, thanks very much for your time, mate. Much appreciated. Um and if you haven't already check out stuff on podcasttextons.com. Um you like and share, give us a review, helps people find the show, and we'll be back again next week. <laughs>